Hello, and welcome to Smart Supply Chain, a podcast produced by ALOM, featuring industry experts offering insight and clarity on a variety of supply chain topics. I'm your host, Jennifer Duell. As an environmentally and socially conscious global supply chain services provider, ALOM offers Six Sigma quality, technology leadership, flexibility, and true customer focus. ALOM delivers its clients' products flawlessly, enriching the end user experience and upholding their brand reputations. Today's guest experts are strategic account managers for ALOM, Steve Brown and Shireen Garrison. We're going to be talking about trends in new customer program creation and onboarding. Steve, Shireen, thank you for being here today. Thanks so much, Jennifer. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise. Thank you, Jennifer. So we are going to talk about all things strategic account management. And I think it'd probably be a good idea to start off with a definition of what strategic account management is. So some call it account management, some call it strategic account management, some call it account coordination and so forth. I really see us as we're a conduit between the sales team and other functional departments. What we do is we essentially try to free up the salespeople as we develop solutions and work with customers to go out and do what they do best, which is sell. And just to add on to that, Jennifer, I think also the strategic account management team is looking at what does that customer actually require and making sure that we understand those requirements and we can deliver on them and then communicating that to the rest of our ALOM organization so that they can put the right things, processes in place to be able to support that customer. So you're on the front lines with the new programs and new customers that come aboard. Are you seeing any trends evolving in what customers are looking for in the way that they're setting up their programs? Customers these days, everybody wants real-time information. They want to know what's happening with their product. They want to know what we're doing. And so data is really key to us, as it always has been. That's not changed. Sometimes now, though, customers are looking into wanting to look at nearshoring so that they don't have to deal with an overseas company. And sometimes they really want to have a lot more flexibility in how many places they can get things from. And sometimes they need it faster. Sometimes they need it slower. I think the big change that I've seen in the last couple of years is that people care more about sustainability and people aren't as focused on just the cheapest price for something. They also want to make sure that they're doing the right thing and focusing on sustainability in the products that we're supplying or the packaging materials or how is it getting to us and not trying to use up more resources than they need to be using. I also think that customers are looking for partners who are flexible, who are adaptable, who can be quick to change, quick to scale, who provide good quality. They're really looking for people who can take on their business and be large enough to grow it, but get the focus that they need as we're bringing that customer on board. Do you feel that organizations are increasingly looking for customization in their supply chains? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's even evolved with the way that business and the world has evolved from a technological standpoint. You know, everything today is real time. 
Everything today is data-driven. Everything today is a customized solution. So much of it is a default of where we've evolved as an economy, as a supply chain. And so customers come to expect a certain level of customization and uniqueness uh, with their partners. And the ones that are able to respond to that and the ones that are able to implement those and design those customized solutions are the ones that are really successful. If you think about even B2B or B2C, people want their products and they want them as quickly as possible in the best quality result as possible. And so that puts a lot of pressure on organizations to deliver their solutions or their products, whether it's end user or whether it's to businesses. And that just goes further upstream with companies like Alon because we have to design those solutions to be able to get those products out and to the consumer, whether it's physical products, whether it's services. And that's where we really excel meeting these customer solutions. What do you think is more involved or difficult to deal with? Physical supply chain, digital supply chain, or financial supply chain? Physical supply chains have been pretty standard process for a long time in the supply chain. And so I think that's pretty well-established processes, both from a client perspective and also a supply chain provider perspective. And so physical is relatively day-to-day. That's everybody's bread and butter and pretty simple. It's most entrenched in people's knowledge and what they think about with the supply chain. Digital supply chains are a little bit more robust in the last maybe 10 years or so, where people are adding technology into their supply chains and adding things like e-commerce. It's not new anymore. People are getting a little bit more used to it. I think that the financial supply chain is the most complicated to actually onboard. I think that's the challenge when you have multiple different financial models within one client's process. So figuring out if the client is going to be paying you as the supply chain company, but then there's also third-party vendors that are involved, that gets very complicated. We also have a lot of medical clients, which means that you have to deal with maybe prescriptions and doctors. When you fulfill something, then you also have to think about any information that you're providing for insurance coverage. And just reconciling all that information gets very complicated. How do you see making physical, digital, and financial supply chains all work together? When I consider each working together, probably the best example, at least from my perspective, is on the e-commerce side. Because if you think about it, you're building a website or a platform that's allowing your customer to go out and then sell something and the consumer places the order that gets fulfilled via Alon. But you still have many customers who still have that physical piece where they're still potentially ordering parts, components, or they have their processes in place from a forecasting perspective that maybe haven't transitioned to digital yet. So a lot of those dependencies are occurring further upstream before they actually get the product to us, whether it's a consigned product or not. And so you have a mix there of the physical and digital. And then to Shireen's point, when you have a model like that, now on the financial side, you could have a variance of, you could have a subscription model that's working where if you're shipping out, once you ship out the initial device to a customer, now you've got a subscription component to that, which brings in a different financial model to the process. So if I think just through that piece, in my mind, that's, that's the inner workings of all three joining together. At the end of the day, everybody wants their money and you've got to figure out how to make sure that's all going to the right places at the right time in the correct way. 
looking back over multiple years, is it easier to create programs today or is it more difficult? And does the technology help or does it just give you too much information? It's definitely more difficult than it was 12 months ago or even a couple of years ago, simply because of the pandemic obviously made things really challenging for a lot of companies just in terms of having a lot of partners and having a lot of different sources for materials has suddenly become very challenging into the ecosystem of trying to get things done in business and in their supply chains. I think technology is absolutely critical. I don't think it creates more complexity because you can always decide what you want to look at. But needing technology and looking at data is definitely helpful in terms of figuring out how to make a good plan for your supply chain. In most customers' mind, there is no such thing as too much data. They want data, and then they will take that data and parse it and use it for their benefit. One of the advantages we have is we give them that data through our customer portals. They have access to it. They can retrieve it at any time, set up reporting, and it really gives them an entire new tool along with our BI tool that allows them to be in a constant awareness of how their business is running. When new customers come to become partners and y'all are working to set up a new program, you don't have any data that has been generated through a program that you've been working with for them. So you're relying on the data that they provide to start off with to craft that program, correct? So typically you'll get some historical data of potentially of what their businesses look like. Let's say whether that's shipments or orders or volumes or forecast or growth. You can obviously use that as your reference point, but if it's in a similar industry or a similar vertical, you can also use some of the experience that we have with trends. But yeah, at the initial stage of the program, until you get some data or until you get some of the program up and running specifically for that program, you're right. There's no data, at least from that specific program, but you do have reference points. Is it to be expected that the initial program that is planned out might need to be modified? That happens a lot. My favorite TV show is Big Brother, and I don't know if you've ever heard the tagline from that show, which is to expect the unexpected. I feel like my career is like that as well, because with all clients, there's always going to be unexpected things that come up or changes to their product or changes to their program that you have to face into and figure out how to solve for real time. And of course, you need to be able to do that quickly for them as well. Yeah, one of the key things that we do as a strategic account team is we really have to be focused on scope creep during the initial onboarding, you know, because you meet with the customer, you outline the contract, you outline the details of the contract, you sign the initial contract, and then you, in some instances, do a follow-up statement of work. And in that process of that whole onboarding, we typically will see program evolve much differently oftentimes than what the initial outline was. So as that occurs, we as a team have to kind of monitor that, understand where that scope creep may be occurring, and make sure that we're looking out A, for the obviously the best interest of the customer to get that solution implemented, but also from ALOM's perspective to understand that we're signing up for things that we can do. And if things are a bit off course, that we just make some corrections with the customer. It's a very collaborative process. And then we just keep moving forward from there. Most delays being because of clients, either resources or simply knowledge about systems or how to extract data. How do you handle it when it's the client that's holding up a project? When clients start holding up projects, generally how you handle that situation is that 
prior to that, you would have already built up a good relationship with that client. So you spend a lot of time talking to them and understanding what are your requirements, what are your timelines, and then you collaborate together, putting together the timeline and identifying the resources that each side is going to need. What ends up happening is a lot of times that client will delay something because they don't have resources from an IT team or something where they're going to need to have resources that are not driving the onboarding. And that happens. And generally, you just have to have that good relationship with them, understand who's making the decisions, and talk to them about what the impacts are. I think a lot of times clients maybe don't see that there's dependencies between the things that they get done in one area and that holding up other areas. It really comes back to over-communicating. When you have the project plan and you're going through the whole onboarding phase with the customer, one of the nice things is that you're frequently on the phone. You have weekly or bi-weekly calls with the customer. And so they're very aware of what the project plan and timeline looks like. And if there is going to be a delay, you let the plan, if you will, speak for itself because you can see what that's going to do to the overall plan. To your point earlier, the dependencies that's required. And it can be little things. It can be you scope everything, you plan for everything. And it could be something as small as a label that goes on a box, especially on the medical uh, side of a program that's required. And if that's something that's that small, you get to the end and a customer has uh, maybe unintentionally didn't realize that those labels that they needed uh, were going to take as long as they uh, potentially do. And So that could hold up something. But so you're always peeling back, even when you have the project plan, the different phases and deliverables, just to make sure that everyone is aware of even the smallest of things that can hold up a launch or an onboarding, constantly refining that plan to make sure that everyone involved understands that this is where we're at with the project and this is what's critical and why it's critical. When we are talking about collaboration between ALOM suppliers, clients, and then client suppliers, I would guess that the best way to handle that collaboration and how to improve it is to focus on communication. Would you say that's the key to a strong collaborative environment between all of these different groups? Absolutely. That is the key. Both sides can work with challenges or issues that may come up with a plan or an onboarding. As long as everyone is involved and in the know and the plan and the process and communicated timeline, as long as that stays visible, both sides can work with, uh, with anything that would come up that would potentially cause a delay. I think that collaboration really does come down to communication. You also have to be able to build in a little bit of contingency because there's always going to be something that you might have missed or nobody thought about or there's a problem that gets created that you couldn't have anticipated. So you have to have a little bit of a plan around those contingencies. I also think putting together the information or putting together the data that's required Whatever those things are to be able to make the right decisions between the team, those things you have to be a few steps ahead to make sure that you're providing that in advance. Is onboarding a really exciting part of the process? I mean, there are certain deadlines or time constraints where everybody probably wants things to happen now versus later. Onboarding can be very exciting, but it can also be very challenging. We've had very different experiences with onboarding, and it depends on when that's happening, how quickly they need to get up and running. We had the experience during COVID that we got involved to support COVID test kits. 
And there were a lot of challenges with making sure that was getting out to market quickly and getting somebody onboarded quickly were challenging. Normally, an onboarding will take usually at least a month or two months to be able to do like a standard sort of onboarding. And sometimes it takes longer than that, depending on the requirements. But during COVID, we were able to get several clients up in as short as two to three weeks and getting it from the contracting point to agreeing the pricing all the way to actually shipping out initial orders, which is very challenging to get that all done in time and make sure that all the boxes are ticked and all the risk has been assessed and we have a plan for everything. But once it comes together, it's very exciting. I've actually been on certain customers that I'm sure Shireen and others have as well, where the onboarding process was literally a year long because you're still defining the scope and you're still doing things through that whole process. And then when you get to the end of that timeline, you're obviously very excited because the program is now on board and it's implemented. And then then on the other side, as Shireen mentioned, you have these shorter timelines where it is somewhat exciting when you've got a short window, let's call it two to three weeks, where you're trying to onboard a new customer. And there's a lot of things that have to go on during that timeline. There's the contract, there's in some instances, a statement of work, there's the onboarding, the project plan, and you've got to compress that all into a two to three week or so window, or in some instances, even shorter. And that does become very exciting because when you see that first product or that first service roll off the end of the line, if you will, there's a certain amount of excitement because you've overcome it. You've overcome that whole tight timeline, that compressed timeline. And there's a great sense of, of accomplishment and pride that, hey, the program is launched. It was launched in some instances record time, in some instances a long time. But you do really have a sense of pride that once it's done, you've been part of it. What can clients do to facilitate a faster onboarding? In terms of speeding up a faster onboarding, a lot of times it's dependent on where the client really is in their supply chain journey. So, for example, do they have established processes and they're just handing things over to us and they just want us to continue doing things as they want it to be done and they're very clear on their requirements for their products? All those things help to get us moving quickly to set the pace. And obviously, we're happy to work through with clients to help them develop those tools and their teams in terms of what their processes need to be if they need help in that area as well. If customers come to us and they have a very well-defined scope or we're able to identify areas that we can maybe add value or improve the scope of the process, the faster we can get that done, that absolutely results in a faster onboarding process. One of the key areas that can facilitate the faster implementation of onboarding is the legal piece. That is so critical for us getting the initial agreement, the master agreement signed. If we see delays, sometimes it'll be in this area. It's well known that with legal, that it takes a while to get a few red line turns of agreements back and forth. But we can't start the onboarding process until we get that initial contract and agreement signed, which will then lead to the statement of work. And so if we do see that, that's a critical area for us to work very closely with the customer to really streamline that piece, which then leads right into the onboarding piece, which can greatly reduce the time involved there. Do you find that contracts today are far more complex than they were, let's say, five years ago, 10 years ago, or when you all started your careers in supply chain? 
Absolutely, Jennifer. What we see, especially with the whole globalization piece of uh, business, is that uh, contracts have become much more involved, at least from that perspective. There are several other areas, but from a specific of a globalization perspective, there's local laws, and those laws can contain to consumer goods, to cosmetics, to uh, medical products. And so what we see is in when you're dealing with a customer, you may start off from with a domestic program that quickly leads to an international expansion. And as a result, many times on the front end, you're building in language or, or different areas of the contract that honestly, that protects both sides as you look to expand into those international markets with all the different laws and regulations and local export and import and customs and things as such. At least from that piece, we've even changed our contracts to accommodate many of those items. I think the things that have become more complicated and legalities and legal issues that have to go into contracts really hinges on the privacy piece of that work. So there's a lot of data security kinds of laws to be followed. There's lots of laws that have to be followed with, for example, GDPR, which is the European laws in terms of privacy and making sure that you're up to speed on all of the standard contractual clauses that need to be included these days. Not to mention that within the United States, every single state has a slightly different law and privacy. And so all of that becomes quite complicated to make sure that you're covering all of those things with your client and that you're in agreement and keeping their client information secure. Can we talk a little bit about customer expectations? Is it a collaborative process where you're deciding together how long the onboarding is going to take? Every point of the process, the customer's aware of what that timeline looks like. But customers always want to get onboarded as quickly as they can because we have this whole collaborative and open communication process, updated project plans. We have different points of escalation if something does need to be escalated. And so the customer is always very aware of what is going on, the activities, the time. And so that typically takes a lot of that pressure off because there's never a surprise. Can you all think of a program that you onboarded that was particularly challenging? We onboarded a number of customers during the pandemic, which was challenging in and of itself just because people weren't traveling. And typically a client, if they're going to come and shift their business over to partner up with you with any company, they would want to visit the site. They'd want to have a tour. They'd want to meet people face to face. And we were in the situation, obviously, during that time where nobody was traveling. And we had numerous clients that actually signed up with us, never having been to our site, never having met any of us in person. And that was a strange experience, I think, both for clients and also for supply chain companies to be able to meet that challenge in terms of how do you build up the trust with somebody when they haven't actually seen your space and they haven't met you. Now that that has happened, do you think that people are more comfortable with that now? I do. I do think that people are more comfortable with it. I still think that clients love to see the space and get a tour. I think that's always going to be what people would want. But I've seen a real shift in how people behave. But it is hard, I think, if you're not used to that kind of environment where you are expecting to meet people face to face and really have that experience that's much more tangible. It's a hard thing to get over. But I do think after the pandemic, which it's not over yet, but I do think that people have changed their views on that and people are a lot more comfortable being remote and not necessarily face to face. 
if we talk about onboarding an existing program, the customer is shifting business from another provider to ALOM. Is it easier to do that or is it easier to build a program from scratch? And I understand too that you're also building a program from scratch, even if the business is shifting, but the business is probably shifting for a reason. You have that past experience with the previous provider to know what maybe worked and what didn't work versus if you're standing up an entirely new solution or a new program that hasn't been served by another business. That's definitely the case where a lot of times it's easier to take on a client that's got an existing business and they're just looking to shift to somebody new because they know what sort of the problem and the pitfall areas are for them. They know what they did or didn't like about their previous supplier, and they can be really clear about what their needs are. And we can be really clear about whether or not we can support them in fulfilling those needs. In those kinds of scenarios, the client knows what to expect. In terms of working with a partner, they know what they don't like. They know what pricing they want to get to. And so it makes it an easier process to negotiate those things with clients because they have that experience and we can play off of those experiences that they've had. In other ways, I'm not sure if it's easier necessarily to set up a new product from the very start, but to me, that's really exciting to be able to come up with solutions for customers and design a program for them that's really specific to their needs and doesn't just fit into cookie cutter kind of process. So that can be easier in some ways as well because the client is really willing to partner with you and have you be part of that process in order to get them up and running. Do you guys think we had an example of an onboarding or if there was one you wanted to talk about? One of the things that we did with with a major automotive OEM is part of our onboarding and scoping of this very specific program was for map upgrades in the vehicle. And as the program initially started, it was going to be a solution where a customer would come into a website that we designed for this program. They would put in their information and then we would just direct them to a link and then they would do the process there in some form or fashion, whether that was a download of files or whether that was a USB or even an SD card in some instances. And so what we did through the course of scoping the program, understanding what the end result was and how to get to that end result, looking at the workflow, looking at the technology that we had from a website and an e-commerce perspective, we redefined the program. And so we worked very closely with the customer and ultimately ended up designing a website that allows the customer when they want to do a map upgrade to come into the website, type in their vehicle information. We then go grab that information from this customer's data repository and we pull that information and actually designed a process through technology that allows us to pull that data, the very large data files, and then present that back to the customer while they're on the website. Once they receive that information, they're able to make a decision of whether they want to do a download of that upgrade or whether they want to place an order. And if they place an order, that order is processed via the e-commerce site. It's directed to us. 
we load that uh, license data onto a USB and we ship it to the customer. But as I described that process, that going from just a click here on this link and it takes you to a different site, we designed the entire process as part of that whole scoping piece. And we were able to develop a solution for the customer. It's been very successful. It's been one of their best programs to date from a map upgrade perspective. And it just shows that the ALOM process, how we take a look at the start, look at the ultimate end game, look at the workflow, the operational piece, and then try to apply technology and automation where we can and just to improve that process and make it as simple as possible. I appreciate y'all so much. Steve, Shireen, you have been such a pleasure to have on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer, so much for your time. It was great to chat with you. Likewise, Jennifer, it's been fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Supply Chain. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information or to contact ALOM, go to alom.com. That's A-L-O-M dot com.